What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another exciting episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm your host today, Will Button, and joining me in the studio is Jonathan Hall. Hey, Will. How's it going? Excellent. So today we are going to talk about uh, some relevant some relevant topics. You know, we've seen in the news a lot, a lot of layoffs happening. A lot of companies have announced that they're going to freeze the hiring process. And so the end result is if you're looking for a job, it's going to get a lot more difficult than what it has been in years past. So we're going to talk about some tips and tricks. Both Jonathan and I have been doing this for a while. We've been through a few of these up and down cycles. So we're going to share with you some of the things we've learned over the last few decades that might help you stand out in the job search process. Awesome. So do you know anybody, Will, uh, before we get started, do you know anybody who's been laid off recently? No, I don't know anyone personally who's been laid off. There are some people that I follow them. They follow me on Twitter that have been impacted. And I know a few close friends who haven't been laid off, but they are feeling pretty insecure currently. Yeah, I think I'm in the same situation. In fact, I just had a chat earlier today with a, a former colleague who uh, is working freelance for a company. He's not doing DevOps, but he's front-end developer and was just told recently that they're going to be ending freelance contracts because of the the downturn. So, um, yeah, I haven't had a personal impact or anybody I know, but it's same as you on social media. I know some people. Um, it's definitely a big thing. Companies are starting to do hiring freezes and layoffs and even maybe even I don't know if this is worse, but just re- reneging on on offers, you know, retracting offers after they've been made, which is really disappointing as a job. As a job seeker, you finally got a contract. You quit your job. Maybe you maybe you went on a short holiday, excited about your new job, and then you discover there is no new job for you. Yeah. Uh, Coinbase stands out in my mind. They just did that mm-hmm. recently. Yeah. So I think the first thing that stands out in my mind is when you're applying for a job in times like these, you've really got to go out of your way to stand out from the other candidates. And I think it falls into three different categories where you can stand out. Uh, one is your resume slash cover letter, if you still use a cover letter. The other is your social media profile, which I've talked with quite a few people about this, and this actually catches some people off guard. And then a third, the third, I think, is your work history or publicly viewable projects to demonstrate your capabilities. Yeah, uh, I think that I think those are all great areas to focus on. I wrote an article. I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I wrote an article a couple of years ago for a recruitment agency here in in the Netherlands uh, about how to use your GitHub profile to help you land a job. And you know, the, the, those those skills are so important. I mean, the, basically, I think that you you need to convince a hiring manager that you're probably a good candidate before they talk to you these days. Yeah. Because there's so many applicants out there, so many people looking for work, and and so little time. I mean, I, I'm I'm a hiring manager right now. I have I, I manage a couple <laughs> right. of teams, and I've I've been doing some interviews, not for DevOps roles, by the way. Sorry, don't call me for that. Um, <laughs> but I have very limited time. Every every manager does, but 
when it comes to hiring, you know, it, when there's a thousand candidates for two, two positions, you have to pick the candidates that look the most promising. You don't want to talk to everybody, even though that might not be fair because there's great candidates who don't have great CVs or don't have big GitHub profiles. But managers, realistically, they, they're going to look for somebody who looks promising before even the screening call in many cases. So you want to, you want to look promising. So. Yeah, I guess that's what we need to talk about. How do you look promising from the beginning? Yeah, talking before we clicked on the record button, like whenever I first got into tech, you would break out the old newspaper and look for job ads. And then whenever you saw one that you thought would work for you, you would print out your resume and put it in the mail and physically mail it to the place. And to stand out then, you would go and buy this really expensive super thick paper. So when they had a pile of resumes sitting on their desk, that this one that was on this really thick paper would hopefully stand out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So do you think that would work these days? You know, it might not be as effective these days. (laughs) Like the big question is, when is this physical piece of mail going to actually get to the hiring manager? Exactly. Most likely. Yeah. Like six months after they filled the role. (laughs) I hope somebody tries this as an experiment and lets us know how it goes, because I would I would be fascinated to hear if there's a physical CV on, on any kind of paper. Does it even get noticed these days? I've heard of people putting their resume. One story I heard that really stands out, someone put their resume with like a $5 Starbucks gift card and then FedExed it to directly to the the hiring manager. So then if you get a FedEx envelope, the front desk or whoever's collecting the mail is going to say, oh, this must be important. Opened it up and his cover letter said, um, hey, here's five bucks if you want to meet me for coffee and talk about my qualifications for this job. <laughs> I thought that was really clever. That's clever. I wonder if it might borderline on, on a bribe, but uh, it's it's certainly a clever approach. Yeah, for sure. Having been in that hiring position in the past, I would probably meet with that individual and then return the, the yeah. gift card to them at that point so that there's no, no, there's no like... No possible oh, misinterpretation or anything. Right. Good call. So I think aside from trying to FedEx uh, overnight your your CV with uh, gift cards or, or, or any other gimmicks, when I'm looking for candidates, the things I'm looking for, of course, it depends on the role and the seniority level, but I'm looking for indication that this candidate has an initiative and they're capable of learning new things. Those are the two most important things for me, I think, in a new candidate, except at really senior levels where I don't care if they learn new things because they already know everything I need them to know. <laughs> you know, you know if, if, I, if I'm looking for an AWS guru who can just come in and clean up our mess because we made it, we made a, a crap ton of mistakes in AWS, I don't really care that they're always trying to learn new things. I just want an expert to come in and clean up my mess. Yeah. But usually I'm looking for I'm looking for potential, right? I'm looking for to hire somebody who I see has made an effort in the past, uh, and I can therefore hopefully assume that they continue to make an effort to learn new things, try new new approaches. They're always learning because I believe that engineering is always about learning to solve new problems. I look at the code I wrote a month ago, six months ago, and I and I think, what was I thinking? <laughs> and, and I'm looking for signs of developers and engineers who who have a similar mindset that they're always expanding. So that's why I like to see. I mean, one of the first things I look for, whether I get a CV or a LinkedIn profile, I look for GitHub or or GitLab. I don't care. It's not the brand. It's the point. I want to see what kind of code you've written in the past, and I can often tell. In fact, I, I did a couple of interviews this last week um, where I looked at the GitHub profile and I wasn't impressed. I did the interview anyway, uh, and I wasn't impressed. You know, like the code was 
it is some toy projects, which is fine, but like it, it just didn't. Well, just 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 to be clear, what one of the things that I look for is is unit tests uh, or or tests of any kind, and some mm-hmm. of these code bases didn't have that, which which tells me that this person, you know, maybe it's a hobby project they didn't think it was important, and and that's why I still have the interview. I want to talk and learn learn that stuff. But you know, if you don't have the the discipline to write tests, do you have the discipline to to do other things correctly? And not everybody's going to agree with me on on the test issue, but that that's that's one area that's easy to to look for in a. GitHub repository, unlike some others. So that, that's only one example. I don't want anybody to get hung up on the test thing. That's just one example of things I look for. Yeah, I think along those lines, the other things to look for besides test are documentation on how to set up and run this. Like, is there a make file? Is the readme very clear about how to use it? And that's then, point, yeah. yeah, and, uh, you know, some type of CI, CD, if it's a, a product that's applicable to that, did you take the time to use GitHub Actions or CircleCI or something mm-hmm. so that you're not doing that manually, even if it is a personal project, which I think is where one of the ways that a personal website can can really work out for you there. You know, have a website that's hosted on S3 or Cloudflare pages or whatever, but integrate it with CICD and and then pull, uh, pull some data from a back-end database. So stand up a little... API in AWS. Mm-hmm. And so now your website demonstrates what your capabilities are. And then that code all lives in GitHub that can be seen. Yes, definitely. I mean, if, especially if you're looking for a, a DevOps type of role, take the time to build a project, even if it's just a, a MVC to do type thing. It, it could be a completely throwaway project if, if, if you have nothing else. But take the time to set up CI CD, deploy it somewhere just to show, just to prove that you can. That's, right. that's worth a lot. If if it's a personal website, that's even better. I mean, I I, ha- I have a CI/CD pipeline for my personal website, which is built with uh, Hugo Static Site Generator. So there's no database, but I still have CI/CD, and it deploys to. So it's not public, but I could make it public. Uh, there's nothing on my website I'm hiding. It's a website for goodness' sake. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you want to, especially if you have a blog, or even if you don't, we'll probably talk about that in a minute. Create one, but if you a great way to demonstrate that you know how to do CI/CD is to put your blog in CI/CD. Now, if you're using WordPress, maybe maybe not, but put your blog. If you don't have, put it on. Uh, use Jekyll or use Hugo or use any of those static site generators. Throw it up somewhere. Uh, you can get free web hosting. You can use Firebase for free. You can get all sorts of cheap or free web hosting. Throw it up somewhere, and you'll have a CI/CD pipeline to prove that you know what you're doing. And I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> if if I saw that on an applicant for from an applicant. Uh, for a DevOps role, I would they would jump to the top of my list very quickly. Right on. I think one of the other things that helps you stand out are your other social media profiles. And for tech-oriented roles, I tend to lean towards Twitter a bit more than other social media profiles because Twitter has such a strong tech community. And I think it can really help you stand out if you're active in that community. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a big following or be posting viral tweets or something. It just means following some people in the same career space as you and engaging with them so that whenever a potential employer checks out your profile, they see that you're active in that community. And it can also give them an idea of your interests and capabilities by looking at the posts that you interact with and your your contributions to those posts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also where choosing a username really is important. Right. So whenever yeah. you link to your profile, like 
we all know and love you as bongwater420 on Reddit, but you might want to pick a new username before you paste it into your resume. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a techie name. It just can't be unprofessional, right? Right. Yeah. Nothing that's going to flag the, the content filters at the old corporate firewall. (laughs) Yeah. We tried to look at your Twitter profile, but it's blocked for some reason. (laughs) If you hire me, I'd be happy to take a look at that. What do you think about, so I've, I've heard of this happening and I've never done it myself, but what do you think about somebody who either on the, on the interview or in an, in an application, maybe their cover letter, they point out technical problems that your company is facing. Like they, like I discovered these open ports on your firewall, or I discovered that you have a, a some sort of cross-site scripting vulnerability on your website, or there's some SQL injection going on here. Is, is that a good thing to do if you can discover that? Or does that, what, what impression does that leave? I think it shows initiative, but I would be very cautious about doing it because delivery is everything. Like whenever you deliver that message, the recipient of that message is going to take it as one of two ways. Like, oh, wow, this person's already actively engaged and looking for things to help out with. Or what the hell are you doing probing our site? You know, and which of those decisions they come to comes down to delivery. I would probably not deliver that in any written form. I would deliver it in a a video or face to face format so that I can control not only the language, but the tone of voice, the, the facial expressions, the eye contact, the body language, all of that stuff to make absolutely certain that that message is not misinterpreted. Good advice. Yes. Yeah. What about you? What are your thoughts on that? So it shows initiative. I think so as a as a hiring manager or as a company, I think it can be nice to ask candidates to do that. Like if you discover a vulnerability, let us know. We want to talk to you. And I, I remember years past someone sh- having a comment in their in the source code of their HTML that says, if you're reading this, we want to hire you or something like that, because it indicated that someone was you know ha- hacking around a little bit. Those kinds of things are clever and cute. So if you as a company are interested in attracting those sorts of people, I think that's cool. Or leave a port open on your firewall that when you connect to it, it sends you a message that says, we want to talk to you. Here's our hiring contact or something like that. Yeah, That's kind of cool to, to catch those people that, that are doing that. But in, unless the company is inviting that sort of thing, I, I would be cautious. And, and also for, for two reasons. Not only does it look a little bit fishy if you're probing our network, but it also can seem a little bit show-offy. Yeah. And that can... And there's a... There's a fine line, and I don't know where it is, but there's a fine line between being proactive and showing off. And, and so I, I would just be very careful. It's about the delivery. I would I would wait till I have a rapport with somebody before I started pointing out the uh, the, the problems. Agreed. Yeah. So I think blogging is a is a great topic here because we touched on it a little bit. Do you have a blog, Will, that you ever use to to, to help you get hired? No. 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 But I do have my YouTube channel hashtag Shameless Self Promotion DevOps for Developers. Which is, uh, it's sort of a video blog, you know, cause it covers the same content that I would put in a blog. I just do videos on it instead. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had, I've had a blog for years. Uh, and, and it's these days I write every day, shameless self plug here. IO slash daily to sign up for my daily emails. Um, <laughs> 
but I, I've had a blog for years. It was and it was usually ad hoc, just whenever I thought of something or or maybe notes to my future self. Like, you know, I solved a problem, but I don't want to forget how I solved it. So I write a little article about it. And that is invaluable as a job searcher. I mean, if, if there's one thing I look for after the GitHub profile, I'm looking to see if you have a blog or, or other social media presence, as long as it's easy to find. Yeah. And I don't just mean like that you tweet a thousand times a week. I mean, I want to I want evidence that you have written about your technical accomplishments because that that tells me about who you are um, and, and your technical struggles too. And that's fine. You can write a blog post about, oh, I was trying to, to do Docker with this weird thing and it was so frustrating I couldn't figure it out. That's, that's also valid. The point is write about the technical challenges you're facing and, and what you're doing about them. That, that says so much. And it doesn't have to be just technical, especially if you're interested in a managerial track. If you want to be a team lead or, or move into management, write about your thoughts on management write about a conflict you had with a colleague maybe change names if you have to for an anonymity but, uh, <laughs> talk about the, the guy who mentored you in a great new way or taught you something new and exciting or something you taught new and exciting to someone else just write about your experiences that you know basically it, it, this is a way a blog or or youtube whatever uh, and to some extent social media is a great way to extend your interview time without the interview. You, you can, you know, all those questions that your managers will ask, how did you solve a problem? How did you solve a conflict with a colleague? Answer those sorts of things in a blog and make it easy to find so that, you know, put the link to your blog at the top of your CV right next to your GitHub profile or your phone number. So it's easy to find. And those hiring managers, when they see that stuff, they're not going to spend hours reading your, your blog. But if they just, if they look at the, your blog and they see, oh, this guy writes about Docker and Kubernetes and, oh, he has thoughts about management, that makes a big impression. And I, I don't know, I mean, I've had, as I've been in a candidate, I've had managers and hiring uh, interviewers mention my blog many, many times. And you know, sometimes it's small, like, oh, I saw you wrote a blog about blah, blah, blah. And and half the time they're wrong, like they misremembered what, what it was. But that's not the <laughs> point, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> And and sometimes it's it's more detailed, like, oh, that blog post about such and such, that was really interesting. I never thought of that before or, or whatever. So just having a blog is invaluable as a job searcher. It will put you that and a GitHub profile are the two things I can think of above anything else that will get attention. I mean, those are literally the two things I look for. Before I even skim through your, your employment history, I'm looking for a GitHub profile and a, and, a, and a personal website. And then I go back and look at your employment history. For sure. Yeah, agreed. I think one of the, on your personal website, which I think is starting to stand out as like one of the key things to do here. One other thing I think a, a category I rarely see on there, but I think is super important to have is a testimonials section mm. for multiple reasons. One, I think it's good for you to get into the habit of asking people that you've previously worked with for testimonials, you know, to find out like, what did you do that they liked? And it's funny because I've always said if, you know, there's like the, the party question, you know, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Mine has always been to see myself through someone else's eyes, to see what, how they see me. And testimonials are like a little brief snapshot in how to do that. It'll help you refine what you're strong at that you may not have known that you were strong at. But then for the purposes of this podcast, someone who is thinking about hiring you they're going to get an unbiased person's opinion on what it's like to work with you, which may help, you know, put you in a more favorable light as they're building out their short list of candidates to call in. That, that's a great uh, piece of advice. I would add to that. When you ask for testimonials, try to ask 
specific questions. But basically, in other words, if I say, hey, Will, would you write a testimonial? You're probably going to write something like, oh, yeah, I know Jonathan from the Adventures in DevOps podcast. He's a great guy. He's really funny. Great guy. And, and there's great, nothing great wrong guy. with that. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't really tell anybody whether I know anything at all about DevOps or, or whatever I might be applying for. So I, I think it's important to ask, ask direct questions, things like, what would you think were the, the biggest strengths uh, or what were my biggest strengths on this team or what were the, my biggest contributions to this project? If you ask things like that that are specific, uh, you're going to get a better testimonial. Uh, and, and this goes, this is the same as like when you, when you write a CV, you want to talk about your accomplishments more than your responsibilities, right? If you did a good job or not, tell me that you managed the Kubernetes cluster for 10,000 nodes or whatever, and you had an uptime of blah, 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 or you increased the uptime from 80% to 99, you know, something like that. Tell me about an accomplishment, something that you, that you did, that you put, moved the needle on. If you're going to ask your, your testimonial givers, how did you move the needle and, and experiment with different ways to ask that, you know, it doesn't, and if it's somebody you're close to, hopefully it is, you can, you can ask several different ways to get a, a powerful testimonial. It's not just, he's a nice guy. I'd love to work with him again. That's fine. At least, at least we know you're not a not a, a a complete jerk, but that's a pretty low bar to when you're trying to stand out above everybody else uh, in an interview. For sure, yeah. And I'll just admit to this right here: I've asked people for testimonials, gotten it back, rewritten it, sent it back over to them, and said, "Hey, can I change it to this?" And then you know, get their approval before I I put before I attribute it to them, but. Because writing testimonials testimonials is actually pretty hard, so yeah. it's okay to offer feedback on the testimonial that you but get. Like as you said, make sure you get their permission first. Yeah, for sure. Don't just rewrite it because you don't like what they said. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and then and, call it a day. <laughs> and don't do like this one company I worked for that will remain nameless and make up testimonials and then just attribute them to John or Bill. Yeah, you know, first name only attributions. Right. <laughs> oh, what else? So let's talk about, I want to cover one more thing on the resume. Whenever you do a resume or fill out a resume or fill out the job application, whatever the process of raising your hand and saying, I'm interested is one of the things I think that really helps is to open up their job description side by side with the application or your resume and rephrase a lot of the statements from their ideal candidate and their roles and responsibilities section of the job description, rephrase those into things I've done in your resume. You know, obviously don't lie, but if you, if they say, Hey, we're looking for somebody with experience creating Helm charts for Kubernetes in your resume, you should have a bullet point that says, I created Helm charts for Kubernetes in this particular project. And you just want to create like a Venn diagram where there's this huge overlapping middle section of things that they're looking for and things that you've demonstrated you've done on your resume. You know, I heard recently of somebody copying and pasting the job description into their CV <laughs> in a one point white font. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that it would pass, you know, all, all their all this, the keyword filters. It would definitely hit everyone. <laughs> right. I don't recommend this approach. Yeah, because uh, you know, if, if somebody sees you're doing that, you're probably you're probably in the on the on the burn pile immediately. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Unless it's a job for like 
SEO management, then then it might work. You might be in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we talked about having a public profile, listing your projects on your resume, adding those to your blog. For a lot of people getting started started out, though, just starting their DevOps career, this is going to be a challenging time to get started for you know probably the next few years at a minimum. So how do they go? How do they break that chicken and egg cycle? I need experience in order to get a job. I need job in order to get experience. Mm-hmm. Well, the the simple answer to speak isn't the simple answer to do. But I think I think what it comes down to is getting the experience outside of a paid job, if at all possible. Yeah. I mean, maybe you're waiting tables at Denny's for a few years like I did. But in the evenings, go set up a Kubernetes cluster on your Raspberry Pi or whatever it is. And, you know, th- that's how I got my first job. I mean, I, I was I was a tinkerer and a hacker forever. And I was I was running my own uh, dial-up modem ISP from my parents' house from <laughs> high school. <laughs> but, you know, that meant that I had experience when I was ready for a job. You know, I, who else in 1998 had been running a dial-up ISP in the bedroom? You know, on that stack of CVs, I was the only one. I can, right. I can guarantee that. So if those skills were at all in line with what they wanted, I jumped right to the top of that list. So whatever your, your hobbies are, if it's Kubernetes on a Raspberry Pi or Bitcoin mining or whatever, find a way to to do that stuff. Build your Ethereum contracts or whatever it is in your spare time. I know not everybody has spare time. That's not fair, but that's life. Yeah. Um, but if you do have spare time, find a way to to do that. Even if it's just an hour a day or even an hour a week, that's better than that, that's that's an hour a week more than ninety percent of the people out there. So right. it doesn't take a lot to be better than average because average is a pretty low bar in most cases. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the key there is just always moving forward, even if it's only five minutes at a time. Yeah. One of the things I recommend for people to do is go to hackathons, meetups, hang out in places where other developers are. So if you're interested in DevOps, you're kind of in a supporting role for developers. So go where the developers are and you're going to find a bunch of developers who are at the same spot in their career that you are in your career. So they're trying to build their portfolio app and have no idea how to get this thing live and deployed. So partner up with them. Say, hey, you write the code to build your app. I'll do the CI CD for it and then put it in a public repo and you both get to work together to build some portfolio work that you can show off and demonstrate. And one of the hidden benefits of that is you're actually doing the thing that you would be doing if you had a DevOps job, you know, working with developers, understanding what they're trying to do, helping them get their code to production faster. You're 100% doing the job. And then you're also just working on building your network and building friendships. And, you know, as as all of you advance through your career, you're going to remember those days and someday you know they may be working at a fortune 100 company and need a devops person remember your name from back in the day mm-hmm. yeah you, you reminded me of a, a concept that I, I thought was pretty groundbreaking when i first learned it a, a year ago or so when it comes to learning 
and this is a complicated thing in anywhere in tech, but especially in DevOps or, or even software development, where we just have to learn so many things. <laughs> if you look at 10 companies looking for DevOps-related roles, they probably have 10 different technology stacks. Yeah. Some of them are using Java, some are on Ruby, some are PHP, some are you know whatever, some are on AWS, some are on Google, some are Azure, some are using Kubernetes, some aren't. You know, it's just, it's all over the board. And there's no way you can learn all of the key technologies for all of those 10 companies, let alone the, the 100 you might be looking at. So the, the concept, uh, it's one I got from a book. I'll make it my pick later on, but I'll mention the book then. But the, the concept is one called knowledge option. So, you know, think of it like stock options. A stock option is the the right to buy stock at a certain price in the future if you want to, but it's not an obligation to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So normally, I think the way most people get overwhelmed with so much to learn is they're thinking, how much do I have to learn right now? Knowledge options turns that around and and it, it basically, you learn just enough about each technology that you can't do it yet, but you know what's required to learn enough. So let's say that the topic is Kubernetes. You've heard the buzzword a thousand times. You don't even know what Kubernetes really is yet. So spend an hour or an afternoon reading up on Kubernetes. Get the basic idea down. So, oh, I realize, I understand how Kubernetes, what it is now. It manages Docker containers, basically, and it and it manages network meshes, blah, blah, blah. You, know, you still don't know how to use it, but you have a concept of what it is. And then to a more or less extent, figure out how long would it take me to learn enough to be useful with Kubernetes. And maybe that number is, is three months or three weeks or, or whatever. So, and then just make a note, a mental note, maybe a physical note. All right, Kubernetes, I know what it is and it's gonna take me three months to learn enough. All right, I'm, that's all I need to know for right now. That's your knowledge option. Now you have the option when Kubernetes becomes required, you know what's, what it is, you can talk intelligently about it at least enough for an interview or at a meetup. And you can now exercise that option when you want to without wasting the three months on something you may not actually need. And then do the same thing for for AWS and do the same thing for Google Cloud and do the same thing for Terraform and so on and so forth. And then you have a collection of these 25 different technologies. You know a little bit about each one, not enough to use any of them in, in, in your job, but enough to know what's required to go to that next step. So that's a knowledge option. It's something really powerful, especially when you're when you don't have the knowledge yet, that's the whole point. So that's really useful early in your career. It's really useful late in your career too. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in this career where, where this new technology is popping up faster than you could possibly learn them all. But that, that's a really powerful concept. I, I just I just found it kind of eye-opening when I learned about that concept. I'll share the, the title of the book later where that came from. Yeah, that's super cool. It reminds me, I've always thought there was this correlation. You know, the Japanese had the Kanban process or just-in-time manufacturing where building automobiles like the tires showed up literally minutes before the worker needed the tires for the the car on the assembly line. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that in technology, we're moving towards this just-in-time learning model where you can't possibly know everything that you're going to need to know for the next five years. So instead of stressing over that, just sort of what you just described, be familiar with the topic. And then when you have to implement it, learn it just in time to implement it. Yep. And the truth is that's good enough for most things. There, there are, we, occasionally we need a true in-depth Kubernetes expert, but we don't most of the time. Most right. of the time, we just need somebody with a base level knowledge. Uh, something they learned in three months is usually good enough to, to get the job done. So I wrote about this on my blog. I'll have a link to that also in the, in the show notes. And then, uh, yeah, the, the book title I'll share later on. Right on. So we covered resumes, personal projects, GitHub profile, social media proof. Maybe Stack Overflow? It's kind of social media, but... It is, yeah. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll mention that. So one place I found to be useful sometimes when looking for jobs, or actually not even looking, but I've had a few jobs come to me through Stack Overflow. I don't know if this is a, this isn't really a life hack because it's kind of one of those things that requires investment. I mean, I've been on Stack Overflow for 11 years and I have something like 60,000 reputation, I think. But I've been I've been really active lately in the last few years on the Go tag. So that mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've had a couple of people reach out to me. They found an answer where I'd answer one of the questions on the Go tag. They, and, and so... You have to put your contact details in your profile there, but I linked to my website. They found me through that. And actually, that's how I got my current job was through Stack Overflow. And I've had a couple other short-term contract jobs that way. So if, if you're a, a Stack Overflow user, especially one who answers questions, I think that's a great way to to get a little bit, bit of publicity. Make sure you put a nice, pick a nice name that's professional. We don't want <laughs> Bongwater 43 anymore. <laughs> Put a nice professional name on there. Put a nice little profile. Put put your GitHub and your and your website links in your Stack Overflow profile, and and say I'm looking for work or I'm available for for work if you're interested. And answer some, provide some high quality answers on a topic you're familiar with, whatever that is, whether it's Kubernetes or or JavaScript or whatever. Asking questions is great too, but the way to get the jobs, in my experience, is answering questions on a topic you're familiar with. Yeah. I think I think one thing worth pointing out on that is that is a long play game. You know, it's going to take take a while to build up your reputation, but it's it's worth doing. Same thing for well, same thing for a lot of the stuff we've talked about in this entire episode. None of it is a magic silver bullet to land a job in the next 24 hours. And I think for the next few years, the job process, regardless of whatever what your experience has been up to this point, I think you can anticipate that finding a job is going to take longer for the next few years at a minimum. So don't get discouraged, stay persistent and set up some type of schedule, some type of reminder or accountability system where you are continuously moving all of these things forward. You know, you're curating your stack overflow profile, you're curating your blog content, you're curating your social media profiles, all of that stuff, just so that they're always moving forward. And then that that long tail traffic does pay off over time. Yeah. And a, and a couple of points on that. Don't watch your web statistics. Do not look at Google. Analytics. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I mean, sure. The first time I had my blog help me land a job, I had 50 visitors a month or something. Yeah. The thing is, it's not about volume. It's And it's not even about people finding you through search engines. It's about somebody saw your CV and they followed the link to your blog and they were impressed. That's all it is. So you're going to get three right. visits a month that way, but they're they're powerful visits. So do not look at or get depressed over your stats. Those stats are absolutely meaningless for this purpose. The other thing I want to talk about is soft skills. That's something we can all work to improve, but it's a great thing that uh, to work on when you're when you're looking for work. Network with people at, at meetups. Work on help. Work on helping people learn. And just work on improving your soft skills. Those are those are always in demand, and they're going to be more in demand. I mean, when it's a when it's a candidate's market, you can afford to be a little bit pickier or or less refined in the soft skills because they need your talent so bad. Mm-hmm. When there's a thousand applicants out there, they're going to pick the guy who talks nice. They're going to pick the girl who takes the time to explain things sweetly. They're they're gonna they're those soft skills are going to really be important. So take the time if you don't already have them. Take the time to develop your soft skills. You can't be the loner nerd in the office corner anymore. You have to be the nice guy. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. There's there's just a ton of truth to that. You know, having the ability to communicate 
your ideas to advocate for something whenever it's not like the the current direction of the conversation to be able to advocate and steer the conversation and be a team player is is huge and whether it's whether we're in good times or bad times it's a skill that's going to serve you well over the the long term there's a quote from Ozzy Osbourne of all people that I heard <laughs> Like a was really it about a crazy train? No, no. This one was actually a legitimate quote. He said, be be nice to the people you meet on your way up the ladder because you're going to meet them again on your way back down. Oh. And I was like, wow, dude, that is deep. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So there you go. If you got nothing else from this episode, you've got a quote from Ozzy Osbourne that you can work into conversation while you're building those social skills. <laughs> awesome. All right. Anything we, else to add? I think we've been around the track. Yeah. You spell right. check on your CV. Right. Yeah. yeah Grammarly so. as well. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Especially if you're not a native speaker. Uh, yeah. Of whatever language. I'm assuming English, but you could be implying in other languages. So, yeah. Use a grammar check and spell check. Actually, especially uh, if you are a native speaker of English, because a lot of us have assumptions that when you use a tool like Grammarly, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Put the most important part of your CV in the top half of the first page. That's so much more important than is it one page or two pages or three pages. Just assume that the, the first half of the first page is what will be skimmed and put the important stuff there. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. All right, cool. We could talk about CVs for a while, but I, I think they're far less important than everything else we discussed at this point. So, yeah, at this point, I think the it's just a launching point to get. It's a place to hold the links to get to the meaningful stuff. Exactly. So make sure those links are at the top. Don't don't put your GitHub profile at the, at the end. That's like your name and GitHub profile, personal website, phone number. That that should be the order of the top the top four things on your CV. I think. <laughs> yep, for sure. Cool. All right, let's do some picks. Yeah, so I'll, I'm going to pick the book. I, I think I picked it on this program before, but it's been a while. And, and I just mentioned it, so I have to pick it now. It's the book that taught me about knowledge options. And it's the book is called Commitment, a novel about managing risk. Or I'm sorry, Commitment, a novel about managing project risk. And it's, it's a, a fictionalized graphic novel, of all things. I never read a graphic novel until this, but it's about a project manager who's working on a struggling project. But the, really the point of it is how to how to use what's called real options, which is a, a technical term for basically waiting until the last minute to make the, the last responsible minute to make decisions. So you're not committed to something that might turn out to be the wrong answer. So it's, it's really applicable to software delivery and technology in general. It's even applicable to the way you drive your car to work in the morning. If you, if you want to think about it that way, you know, should I change lanes now or wait until later? So it's, it's really applicable to all areas of life. But it's specifically about project management, which I don't know. I enjoyed it. It's a graphic novel, as I said. So don't probably, I mean, I guess you could get a Kindle version if there is one, but you, you really want to see the pages. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's my, my recommendation. Commitment, novel about managing project risk by Olav Masson and others. Lincoln. Right on. I'm going to check it out. I'm just interested because you mentioned that it's a graphic novel and now I'm like, I got I to gotta see what that's about. <laughs> I always thought graphic no novels are for nerds, right? And, and maybe they are. I don't know. But uh, I guess I'm a nerd now because I've read one. It makes me wonder, like, could I pull off a book on Kubernetes that's like a coloring book or dot to dots? I want the link to sign up for that already. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dot to dot, but you've got to identify the prime numbers to connect your Docker container to the Kubernetes control plane. Nice. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm on it. 
(laughs) (laughs) So my pick is going to be, there's a a new book out from a guy named Tiago Forte called Building a Second Brain. You may have heard of his content. This is his first book, but he's been doing the Building a Second Brain content for a while. I got the book because I am horribly unorganized. I've got stuff in Dropbox. I've got it in Apple Notes. I've got it in Evernote, Google Docs, Notion, and uh, Post-it Notes, and Three Ring Binders, and I have all these notes, but I can never find any of them whenever I need it. And so the building a second brain is his strategy for organizing all of that stuff so that you can find it. And when you're looking for it, you know where to look, which is the big obstacle for me. Like I know I have this piece of content somewhere, but for the life of me, can't figure out where it's at. So if you're unorganized like me, check it out. Building a second brain by Tiago Forte. Nice. Yeah. And yeah, with that, best of luck in your job search. Let us know on social media if we overlooked anything or even call us out if you think we're completely wrong on something. Cause, or even halfway wrong. Yeah. Completely wrong to want to know about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not aware of any instances, but there are rumors that I've been wrong before in the past. So I'm no. curious to get your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I thought I was wrong once, but then I realized I wasn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Jonathan. I'll see you next week. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>